0: Right. we're we're still figuring it out right figuring it out together figuring it out like champs hello 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 hello
1: uh-oh let's not do that
0: are you sure i think it's already been done wait i think it's already done are you a good witch or bad i've been a rebel all my life we will not remain hidden figures we have names. Oh, if it's naughty to ruse your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. <laughs> I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Deanna. What's up? Not much. You want to do a podcast? I think
1: I do. I think I want to do a podcast. I want to call it... Good witches, bad bitches. And I think we should do it. And it should be a podcast about women. What okay.
0: You think? I'm totally down. Let's
1: do it. Should Air. we do it right now? Break. Yes.
0: <laughs> break? What do you mean break? Like on a sports team. Oh, okay. Not like take a break. No. Oh. Like, like, we, like now we're we doing do sports balls. Oh, okay. Sports. Yeah, sports balls. hmm.
1: Wow, I have a little intro article that I thought was important because I didn't necessarily know this information, so sue me. Um, Don't sue me. I won't. Um, It was a Time Magazine article from last year. No, two years ago. Fuck me. God, I'm still not used to the fact that it's 2020.
0: Anyway. Yikes. It
1: is called, This is How February Became Black History Month.
0: Ah, all right.
1: Written by Julia Zorthian. Zorthian? Hopefully I pronounced that right. Anyway. It was in 1964 when the author James Baldwin reflected on the shortcomings of his education. When I was going to school, he said, I began to be bugged by the teaching of American history because it seemed that the history had been taught without cognizance of my presence. Mm. Baldwin's thoughts echoed those of many before him and after him. Half a century earlier, when Carter G. Woodson had the same frustration, he set the foundation for what would become today's National Black History Month observed each February. In the early 20th century, while he earned a master's degree from the University of Chicago and a PhD from Harvard, both in history, Woodson witnessed how black people were underrepresented in the books and conversations that shaped the study of American history. According to the way many historians taught the nation's past, African Americans were barely part of the story, a narrative that Woodson knew was not true. So in 1915, he and Jesse E. Moreland founded the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, or the ASALH. The organization would promote studying black history as a discipline and celebrate the accomplishments of African-Americans. If a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition. It becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world, and it stands in danger of being exterminated, Mm -hmm. Woodson said of the need for such study. In 1926, Woodson and the ASALH launched a Negro History Week, as they called it, to bring attention to his mission and help school systems coordinate their focus on the topic, Woodson chose the second week in February, as it encompassed both Frederick Douglass's birthday on February 14th and Abraham Lincoln's birthday on February 12th. Interesting. Yeah. The celebrations and studies spread quickly, as the ASALH tells it, driving demand for teaching materials and spurring the formation of Black history clubs. But though a newfound understanding of Black culture and literature was spreading amongst the middle class, the idea of expanding the week to a month did not come about until several decades later. During the civil rights movement, freedom schools in the South embraced the week and its curriculum message as a way to contribute to the mission. By the mid-1960s, the most popular textbook for eighth grade U.S. history classes mentioned only two black people in the entire history of, uh, that had transpired since the Civil War. Whoa. And that problem could no uh, longer be ignored. Yeah. It was in that decade that colleges and universities across the country transformed the week into a black history month on campus amazing a number of mayors had already adopted the celebration as a municipal event by the time president gerald ford decreed black history month a national observance in 1976 on both the 50th anniversary of the first iteration and america's bicentennial year in celebrating black history month ford said in his message we can seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of black americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history Presidents have issued national decrees with each year's theme since the 1970s. That's insane. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting that it it was because of Frederick Douglass's birthday and Abraham Lincoln's birthday.
0: Yeah, especially, I mean, thanks to the Daily, which produced a podcast about you know slavery, and they talked about. Abraham Lincoln's role and how it was not quite as
1: anti-racist as we'd like to think.
0: Yes, exactly. And so it is really fascinating (laughs) now to know that and think about the fact that he was in consideration when they created that
1: celebration. Black History Week, Mm -hmm. which became Black History Month. Yeah,
0: fascinating. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. Oh,
1: no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the
0: more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that that we can start creating that content for you
1: also when you become a patron you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air how exciting is that
0: very exciting yeah yeah you can find us at patreon.com slash gwbb podcast on that note i have somebody really interesting for you today Oh. Not that I never do, but today is uh, somebody who I've actually been wanting to talk about for a long time because I mentioned her in our very first episode ever. Oh, shit. And I didn't know who she was. And so I referred to her as a he in the episode, and one of our listeners had to correct me, and it was the first <gasps> time where I was like... Oh, my God, there's just so much that I do not know and I and do not understand. And we've talked about
1: her on the podcast since, but not as our main person of the week. Correct. If it's who I think I'm, it is. Correct.
0: And one of the reasons I had to say I, I've thought about her this time is because I, this is super selfish of me, but still, I've been going on a sort of, um, you know, personal hair journey. And because
1: you have naturally curly hair?
0: Because I have naturally curly hair. And you and haven't really
1: cared for those curls. I
0: have not cared for those curls at all. So um, with that, the spirit of that and me just being interested in that realm, um, and it being Black History Month, I'm going to talk to you about Madam C.J. Walker.
1: Hell yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my god. So. One
0: of America's first millionaires, right? Uh that is, one of her claims to fame is that she is probably, although there is some dispute about it, and I'll talk a little bit about that, she's probably the first self-made African-American millionaire Wow! in the country. Um. So, quite yeah. a title for I a know. woman to have. Yes, yep, and at the time for an African-American to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got most of my info from womenshistory.org, MadamCJWalker.com, pbs.org, uh, uh, Harvard Business School, which published some research from Nancy Cohn and Katherine Miller. And, oh, and the PBS article is by <coughs> Henry Louis Gates Jr. And so I got, they they had a really good, they had really good research because they delved into a lot of the whys of certain situations rather than just Madam C.J. Walker was this, and then she did this, and then she did that. And so I I borrowed extensively from them because they had really great information. Lay it on me. So you might already know the name Madam C.J. Walker. If you've ever gone to a beauty supply store, you have probably seen products with that name emblazoned across the label. Yep. So they're still in circulation today. They're still available off the shelf. Um, What you might not know is that this brand is a lot older than most Brand's on the shelves right now and was originated by a woman named Sarah Breedlove, who became the first self-made African-American millionaire as met MCJ Walker in the early 1900s. So, yes, her name, her original name was just as cool. Sarah Breedlove, like. Yeah. Why did she change it? We'll talk a little bit about, about that. There are some good reasons. And I think that ultimately it it really helped her launch her brand, but. She was born Sarah Breedlove on December 23rd, 1867, on a plantation in Delta, Louisiana, one of six children of Owen and Minerva Anderson Breedlove, who were former slaves turned sharecroppers after the Civil War. Interesting. <laughs> Orphaned at the age of seven, Walker... No! Y- yep. What? Yeah, her oh. parents died, um, and I don't know what from. Um, she went to live with her older sister, Luvenia, and the two worked in the cotton fields. Um, unfortunately, her brother-in-law, Luvenia's husband, was highly abusive. Great. I did not get any details on that, but um, there were, you know, pretty much everyone said he was cruel or abusive or what have you. And so in order to escape him, she got married at 14 to a man named Moses McWilliams. Um, That's a name? Yeah. And when her husband mysteriously died in 1887 and i don't know what that means but that's what they said on the pbs article and i was like whoa when mysteriously she was 20 died in 1887 yep walker became a single parent of her two-year-old daughter uh lelia later known as Alelia. or alelia sorry so lelia and then her daughter changed her name to alelia Okay. For reasons. Sure. Um, Seeking a way out of poverty in 1889, she moved to St. Louis, Missouri, where her four brothers were barbers. And there, she worked as a laundress and a cook. Um, So she was doing, like, intense, labor-intensive laundry in those big vats. Like, things that were really hard on the body. And, um, just taxing in general. And she, uh she struggled to send Lilia to school because the money still wasn't quite good enough for her to do so but she made it work um she joined the church where she networked with other you know city dwellers so Sarah struggled to send Lilia to work though she made it she made it happen um she joined her local church where she did a lot of networking she was a very extroverted person so she really liked engaging with people and talking to people and You know, if she ever met somebody who was like, well, I work over here and I do this thing. She'd be like, all right, well, it's really great to know you. And I'm going to file that away for later. Interesting. Um, Yeah. And she also was part of the fledgling National Association of Colored Women. Uh, She met leading black men and women in the community. And I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I, you know, I assume they were people who were influential in Community some way. Community leaders. Community <laughs> leaders uh, whose education and success inspired her. Huh. And this is important to note because later on, she tapped those networks as she was building her new business from scratch. So she kept in touch with these people and really um, became good at connecting with people through And if she's so outgoing means. and gregarious,
1: then obviously people are like, oh, Yeah. Sarah, I would love to help her. Yep. She was great. She's so friendly and nice.
0: She has a business. Great. Yep. Let's help. Exactly. So in 1894, she tried marrying again. She tried? <laughs> she tried. Um, she attempted it. You know, she was, quote, getting on in years. Didn't you say she was born in 1867?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 77, 87. Yep. She's almost 30. Yep. Getting on in years. That's like in Pride and Prejudice when, when her best friend is like, I'm 27. Oh,
0: no. and And I'm a
1: burden on my parents already it's like oh my god so you're gonna marry the first guy he's an idiot yeah
0: well and that was the thing like she was poor she was doing like very difficult labor intensive work and had a kid and had a kid and she needed to support that kid so I could see her you know quote trying to marry again even that though she age. was getting on in years. Even though she was getting on in years. Because because she was, quote, getting on in years. And she was probably fucking tired.
1: I'm tired and I don't even have a
0: kid. Right. <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, her second husband was a flake and a cheat. Good and deal. And Sarah was clearly not somebody who was going to take shit. She just didn't have that fucking gene. And <laughs> she divorced him. I'm genetically predisposed to take it. <laughs> Some people, I don't know, maybe they are. Um, So they divorced. So they divorced. Interesting. Yeah. She was like, you're going to cheat on me. You're a flake. I can't fucking rely on you. The whole point of this was I needed some stability. Like, I'm not doing this. You know? At 35, her life was uncertain. So she divorced him at 35. Uh She told the New York Times later, I was at my tubs one morning with a heavy wash before me. As I bent over the washboard and looked at my arms, buried in soap suds, I said to myself, what are you going to do when you grow old and your back gets stiff who is going to take care of your little girl so it was kind of like a moment of interesting you know like holy shit, what like where is my life going
1: but she wasn't thinking conventionally for the time where it was like by the time i get old my daughter will be married and her husband will be taking care of her because she already <laughs> right. saw how well that could work out you, right you, for all intents and purposes you can go into a marriage thinking it'll be great and It's not. Yep. Yep. I think she always assumed. So she needed to figure out how to become a a supporter of her child on her own so that her daughter would never have to rely on a husband to take care of her.
0: Bingo. Um, Adding to her woes, adding to the, the uncertainty was the fact that she was losing her hair. Yeah, I didn't know this, but um, as her great-granddaughter, A'Lelia Bundles, explains in an essay she put, uh, she posted on America.gov, During the early 1900s, when most Americans lacked indoor plumbing and electricity, bathing was a luxury. As a result, Sarah and many other women were going bald because they were malnourished and washed their hair so infrequently, leaving it vulnerable to environmental hazards such as pollution, bacteria, and lice. Oh, my God. So a lot of women had this fucking problem, and it's embarrassing, and it's like taxing and traumatic and awful. When you have, especially when you have
1: societal expectations about what you should be looking like and how you should be, and women already have extremely high sort of parameters, high set bar there of like, you can be stressed out, but you better not look it. Right. Don't look tired.
0: (laughs) Don't look tired. Because then,
1: you don't. that's not pretty. Yeah. Don't lose. If you lose your hair, I don't know
0: what to tell you. Yeah, your main value is in how you look. So, Um, and then in the lead up to the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, Sarah discovered the quote, great, wonderful hair grower that um, Annie Turnbow had created. She was the the other hair mogul of Sarah's time who would give Sarah a run for her money in the race to become the country's first self-made black millionaire. And there are accounts that say Turnbow got there first. But we are not sure. We we have no way of knowing. She was older than Sarah.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: She'd had her business longer. And um, she was an Illinois native with a background in chemistry who had relocated her hair straightening business to St. Louis. And... This treatment that she had, that she had created, more than worked for Sarah, who within a year went from using Turnbow's products to selling them as an agent. Oh. Yep. And around the same time, she started dating Charles Joseph, or CJ, Walker, who was a savvy salesman for the St. Louis Clarion. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So things were kind of, like, starting to look up. She was getting her hair back. She was making some money. She was making money selling a product she believed in. Yeah. You know, she wasn't she wasn't working, doing work that just sucked to suck and then going home and not having anything to show for it. Right. Like her her life was turning around. So just for some context about, you know, the time period and what black people were dealing with. And this is from um, the PBS article. In turn of the century America, Black people were excluded from most trade unions and denied bank capital, resulting in trapped lives as sharecroppers or menial low wage earners. Sounds right. So, yeah, fun, super fun, America. Oh, I know. Get it together. We were like, oh, we slavery is illegal. Well, we'll figure out a way to make
1: it. But you guys still can't become successful people.
0: Right. We're gonna fig- we're gonna find a way to make in- you slaves anyway. Successful
1: individuals. Maybe, but that's that's you're gonna have to have a whole string of fucking luck to get there.
0: Right. And we don't actually believe that you will. No. Um, of course not. <laughs> No.
1: <laughs>
0: One of the only ways ah. out, as Nancy Cohn talks about in her study, um, was to start a business, was to start a business in a market segmented by Jim Crow. And hair care and cosmetics, fit that bill especially well because the startup costs were really low. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, they were just like the perfect thing to start being an entrepreneur with. Wow. And that was, if that was the only way you could have any sort of like personal success. Yeah. Like that's what, that's what a lot of people were doing at the time as a result. Um, so unlike today's Big multinationals, white businesses were slow to respond to Black people's specific needs, and I think they're that still slow. Today is a little bit of a yeah, stretch. I think they're still quite slow. Um, there was a slew of remedies to improve upon from well before slavery, and Turnbow saw that and seized that in her in creating her quote Poro brand. Becoming part of a larger movement that witnessed the launch of some ten thousand to forty thousand black-owned businesses between 1883 and 1913. Whoa, that's
1: a lot. Yeah. If
0: if you're if your options are work a low wage job, be, be a sharecropper, or start my own business, you're going to start own your own business. Yeah. yeah. So, while still a turnbow agent, Sarah stepped out of her boss's shadow in 1905 by relocating to Denver. What? How crazy is that? I did not know. I had no idea. Hi. What? Yeah. Uh, mm, that was where uh, her. That was where her sister-in-law's family was. And I think I knew that. I did not so, know but that. It's so far from removed from my mind.
1: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's, I feel like I'm having déjà vu. Okay.
0: Okay. Fuck. <laughs> Her, okay, Are she you? moved to Denver. She moved to Denver. I'm... I know, I had no idea. Cool. And she was there because um, her sister-in-law's family was there, and she had heard that black women's hair was suffering in the Rocky Mountains' high but dry air. Yeah, no kidding. And she was like, oh, that's where I can sell some shit. So, that's so fucking smart. Yeah, she was really smart. Uh, CJ soon followed. And in 1906, the two officially they- married. Oh,
1: that yep. was my question.
0: Yep. With Sarah officially changing her name to Madame C.J. Walker.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: around, the t- around that same time, she apparently awoke from a dream in which, in her words, a big black man appeared to me and told me what to mix up for my hair. Some of the remedy was grown in Africa, but I sent for it, put it on my scalp, and in a few weeks, my hair was coming in faster than it had ever fallen out. She would call it Madame Walker's wonderful hair grower, and her initial investment was $1.25.
1: Which is the equivalent of what now?
0: Like 100 bucks.
1: That's still nothing for a business investment.
0: (laughs) Sarah's industry had its critics, among them the leading black institution builder of the day, Booker T. Washington, who worried, I think probably rightly so, at least, you know, in in today's society, that hair straighteners and worse, skin bleaching creams, would lead to the internalization of white concepts of beauty. Perhaps she was mindful of this, though, because she was deft in communicating that her dream was not emulative of white people, but divinely inspired. And like Turnbow's Poro method, African in origin. So by saying, I had this dream... And this, you know, this person came to me and told me what to do. Basically, like, God told me in a dream. Exactly. God told me in a dream, and this is where we are. So she was careful not to be like, do you want to look the way the white ladies, you know, look? Yeah. But the, the hair straightening thing was definitely like... Well, did she sell hair straightening products? Yes. Uh. Part of it was like, I think what she was doing was, was selling a lot of relaxers and things that obviously were supposed to help your hair grow in, help keep your hair healthy. I feel shiny. like it's a weird, dangerous cycle, though,
1: because yeah. you want to create a product that your market wants and yep. is clamoring for. But is that clamoring come from an internalized desire slash to conform to Anglo sort of beauty standards? Yeah. Or no, it's hard. I mean, it's
0: hard probably to say. yes,
1: but then does that but but does that make it less valid? Like, I, I
0: don't well, know. and I think it's, at it's, the time it was it was a purpose served that was very useful.
1: Well, yeah, you
0: know, I think these I mean days, even today
1: we still struggle with with people thinking that like natural hair is unprofessional or right. unclean or unkempt or whatever, and it's just fucking untrue.
0: Well, it's. Yeah, it's racism, but it's, we don't realize yeah. it. It's so but ingrained. Even so
1: if that's something that's happening today, mm-hmm. I can imagine back then. If you walked in with your like naturally curly hair, in like some sort of hairstyle that makes a a, a rich white lady in a fancy house go, we want to get a job. You want right? money. You want whatever. Yep. You want to fit in.
0: We with- want opportunities. Yeah. You know, you want you want, yeah, you want a good life. But it's a perpetually repeating sort of cycle, right? So that was his concern. He was he was very concerned about that cycle. She was aware of that of that argument and went, okay, well, here's my remedy for it. It it came from God, so it's fine. So fuck you. (laughs) So (laughs) it's it's all right. Um. So initially. Her husband helped with advertising and establishing a mail-order business because he was a salesman. He knew he knew all about it.
1: I thought you meant M-A-L-E for a second. I was like, mail-order? <laughs> no, no, oh, no, no, no. Where's that brain not? going?
0: I'm not sure, but I I'm intrigued. I don't She's branching out, you know. <laughs> order uh, a man. <laughs> mail-order business. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Order a man. Order a man here. Um, no, mail order, M-A-I-L. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. And, um, I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, but the pair divorced in 1910. Yes, they did. well. They got divorced. After the pair divorced, she invested $10,000 of her own money because she couldn't... Man, I wish I had $10,000. I know. But she couldn't find any investors... No one would step forward. No one would step forward to invest in her company. That's horse shit. So she invested $10,000 of her own money into her business, into incorporating her business, becoming the sole shareholder, and Ah! uh, yeah, thus becoming like fucking rich because no one else wanted to be a shareholder, I guess. And That's a
1: big old fuck you.
0: Isn't it though? Uh, And she quickly relocated to Indianapolis, where she built a factory for her Walker Manufacturing Company and quickly started raking in her fortune. Holy shit. So as I've mentioned, some claim that it was Turnbow, not Walker, who became the first uh, self-made black millionaire. Um, but one thing about her startup was different. Her brand, with the quote "Madam" in front, had the advantage of this French cachet, while defying many white people's tendency to refer to black women by their first names or worse as "Auntie."
1: Oh. Mm-hmm.
0: She basically went, "No, you're not gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop that. Yeah. I'm gonna nip that in the bud." Damn. You're going to see my name and there will be no doubt that you don't get to call, call me that. And it also, it just gives it, it just gives it an air of, of you know, fanciness and superiority. And like, who doesn't want that? Yeah. So in marketing her wonderful hair grower door to door at churches and club gatherings. Doing and, that
1: extroverted gregarious networking thing.
0: Yep. And then through a mail order catalog, Walker proved to be a marketing magician. And she sold her customers more than mere hair products. She offered them a lifestyle, a concept of total hygiene and beauty that in her mind would bolster them with pride for pride for advancement. So she was very much like, you know, cleanliness is the most important thing. Keep your nails trimmed, you know, be clothed at all times, you know, ha- have nice, sleek hairstyles, like, don't, get, don't give anyone a reason to shit on you. Interesting. Was basically her thing. It was <laughs> like, if you are at the height of hygiene and you're looking good, no one can say boo about where you are, or who you are, or what you're doing. So to get the word out, uh, Walker also was masterful in leveraging the power of America's burgeoning independent black newspapers. In some cases, it was her ads that kept them afloat. Holy shit. Yeah. It was hard to miss Madam Walker whenever reading up on the latest news. And in her placements, she was a pioneer for using black women, actually, usually herself, as the faces in both her before and after shots, when others had typically reserved the latter for white women only. So she was using herself as a model and showing off her. the I'm sorry,
1: they would use a white woman as the after shot?
0: Uh-huh. Or, I mean, I assume the before and after. Oh, OK. I was gonna maybe, like, maybe the after Like skin lightening creams <laughs> that after. work so well.
1: God. And hair straighteners that work so well. Ay, ay, ay. Pass for white. I think mainly what they're saying here is just that, like. You didn't see black female faces yeah. in beauty advertisements.
0: Right. And is, products and, weren't and really. And she used herself,
1: which was kind of. It's radical and frugal because she didn't have to pay a model.
0: Yeah, and fucking smart, because then people started to associate her face with her products. Right. And so she had all the rights to her own face, and she could put it on anything. That's very true. Uh, Perhaps most important, she transformed her customers into evangelical agents who, for a handsome commission, multiplied her ability to reach new markets while providing them with avenues out of poverty, much like Turnbow had provided for her. Uh, This is crazy. In short order, her company employed some 40,000 agents in the U.S., Central America, and the Caribbean. So they were across the continents. I mean, like, that's crazy. It's so many people. She trained them at Lelia College, named after her daughter, Uh, the school that she opened just to train agents. They even received a diploma. <laughs> there was a whole Walker system this for them is like to
1: learn. Training, uh, like multi marketing agents who do this on social media, but they can just watch videos and do online courses. But she did a fucking.
0: Yeah, she did the whole thing because she believed in her own product and wanted it to be sold by people who loved it too. Mm-hmm. And she wanted people to not be in poverty. That's why she paid handsome commissions. You know, she wanted people to love what they were doing, love the product that they were selling, and also be, you know, able to do it without going broke the next week. Right. Um,
1: which is interesting. Yeah.
0: I mean, there was a whole there was a whole quote Walker system for them to learn. From vegetable shampoos to cold creams, witch hazel, diets, and those controversial hot combs that straightened the hair. So, to keep her agents even more loyal, she organized them into a national association and offered cash incentives to those who promoted her values. In the same way, she organized the National Negro Cosmetics Manufacturers Association in 1917. She said, I am not merely satisfied in making money for myself, I am endeavoring to provide employment for hundreds of women of my race.
1: Oh. I know. That's so sweet. That
0: just was, she was like, I don't want, I don't want anyone who doesn't have to, to go through what I went through. That's awesome. As her wealth increased, so did her philanthropic and political outreach. She contributed to the YMCA. She covered tuition for six African-American students at, I'm going to, I'm not sure I know how to say this, Tuskegee? Tuskegee? Tuskegee Institute um, and became active in the anti-lynching movement. Uh, and I love she, that that had
1: to be a fucking movement.
0: I know, like, oh, don't don't hang people. Please don't. Please don't hang people. Fuck. She also donated $5,000 to the NAW, NAACP's efforts in that movement. Um, and just prior to dying of kidney failure, she revised her will bequeathing two-thirds of future net profits to charity, as well as thousands of dollars to various individuals and schools. Walker's sales exceeded $500,000 in the final year of her life, which was 1919. Her total worth topped $1 million and included a mansion in Irvington, New York, dubbed Villa Luaro. And I didn't put any of this in my notes, but I thought this was interesting because probably we should do her at some point, but her daughter... Uh, Lelia slash A'Lelia was a super fascinating character on her own. And after her mom died, she actually, she took over the company Uh and ran the company once until she passed. But, um, and then it was her daughter who wrote the biography about um, Man MCJ Walker that some of these articles cite. But A'Lelia was a key figure in the Harlem Renaissance. Oh, shit. And she used to have, um, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, she had a residence in Harlem that they called the Dark Tower, or it was in the Dark Tower, something like that, and she had all sorts of people over, you know, yeah. Zora Neale Hurston and all of the fucking people that you would see at a at a salon and, uh, and during the Harlem Renaissance, and she was she was there and doing cool shit yeah so she's her daughter is also a really fascinating figure who i wouldn't mind talking about at some point once you have forgotten that i have said her name (laughs) and yeah just the whole family is like really super into their legacy and um and actually there is a netflix series coming out march 20th of this year starring Octavia Spencer yes oh yes I knew this yep it's called Self Made inspired by the life of Madame C.J. Walker and it is based on the biography written by her great great granddaughter A'Lelia Bundles wow and so yeah so that's in about a month ish and we should all be watching it when it comes out obviously cause it's cool but also Octavia Spencer is a goddess so oh, I love her I know and she's gonna be amazing and um, that's the story of Madame CJ Walker I hope I didn't leave anything out if I did feel free to let me know people because uh, I like hearing those things from you but yeah that's kind of
1: awesome that's it but that, that we've talked about her a couple times and
0: <laughs> I know and I got her I was so just unaware of Fucking history, (laughs) period. That in the very first episode we did, I didn't have any idea who I was talking about. That's okay. We've come so
1: far. Her husband's name was CJ Walker. That is a man's name. And then she (laughs) took his name when she married him and then opted to use that name for her
0: business. Yeah. All right. Thank you for giving me some leeway there. Yeah. All right. Maybe. We'll go with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You want some on the stay? Lay it on me, girl. on this day in history, February 12th. <laughs> There's some stuff. 1502, Muslims in Granada are forced to convert to Catholicism. Cute. Yikes. Uh, 1502, also 1502, Vasco da Gama sets sail from Lisbon, Portugal on his second voyage to India. He was an explorer that you probably did a book report about at some point in fifth grade. Because... I yeah. did Magellan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't remember anything about Magellan, but I know I did Magellan. 1554, Queen of England for nine days, Lady Jane Grey is executed for treason. Ooh, this one's not fun. 1793, the first U.S. fugitive slave law is passed, which requires the return of, ex- of escaped slaves. 1865, Henry Highland Garnett becomes the first African-American minister to preach to the U.S. House of Representatives, and he talks about the end of slavery.
1: Interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: 1870, Utah becomes the second territory in the United States to pass a law allowing women the vote. A year after Wyoming in 1869. Well done. I know. 1879, the first artificial ice rink in North America opens in Madison Square Garden. Oh, how weird is that?
1: Probably back when Madison Square Garden was in Madison Square.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's nowhere near it now. Yeah. 1909, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People forms. So, wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. In 1949, there's a panic in Quito, Ecuador, after War of the Worlds is played on the radio. Oh, yeah. H.G. Wells. They didn't tell anyone that it was a story, and there was mass panic, and apparently a potentially uh, bad one in Ecuador. Wow. Yikes. Such an interesting thing.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh
0: Uh-oh. 1950, Albert Einstein officially warns against the hydrogen bomb. He's like, no, 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 don't do it. Well, we
1: lost one in Savannah, Georgia, so. Oh,
0: here's one. 1999, U.S. President Bill Clinton is acquitted by the Senate in his impeachment trial. Interesting. That's today. Whoa. Weird. That is weird. In 2019, Mexican drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman found guilty of all 10 federal crimes against him in New York after 200 hours of testimony. That's so many hours of testimony. Two hundred you know, hours sitting through all that. No, twenty-four I can't. hours is one day. And that's, uh, I think that's that. I think that's where I'm gonna end that because that's okay. that's the most interesting thing left on the list. Yep. Uh, dude, lots happened today and this month. And um, why don't you tell me what you're excited about to okay. wind us down?
1: Okay. Okay. So. I'm excited about this now at the time of recording, but by the time <laughs> yeah. the episode comes out, it will already happen. Okay. Which is the only reason why I can say this. Fair enough. Because I'm going to Disney World.
0: Yes.
1: And Alex doesn't know it yet.
0: Ah, your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> My man. Your man. Oh. You going to surprise him?
1: Yeah, it's for his birthday, which is also this month.
0: Oh, happy birthday, Alex!
1: And uh, he doesn't know that it's happening. He's coming into town and he thinks we're going upstate.
0: Oh, no, he's going (laughs) to have all the wrong clothes.
1: (laughs) It's okay. He always brings short sleeves even in winter. Because he has other things to layer.
0: Oh, that's fair. I'm going to tell
1: him before we leave. It's not like I'm going to tell him when we're on the way to the
0: airport, because that would be shitty. I feel like, yeah, I... If you if you did that to me, and we got to the airport, and then you were like, "Surprise! We're going to Florida. We're going to Florida." I would be like, "Fuck you." <laughs> I mean, I get well, that he, it's a nice surprise. He is not
1: a person who handles surprises in always the happiest way. So, but I think this is one that he will be happy about.
0: Oh, that's the and best. And he's never been. And then the next time we do a podcast, you can tell me how it was. Okay, that's so exciting. All right. Well, I'm pretty stoked about that. You can find us on social media, friends. We're at GWBB Podcast.
1: All over the place. All
0: over the place. We are on Ko-Fi and Patreon.com, and those links are in our show notes. Every week. Uh, you can email us about cool ladies if you want, uh, GWBB Podcast at gmail.com. And please leave us some iTunes reviews we would love some new 2020 reviews if you feel so inclined it would be great give would a help bitch us out. a holler give a bitch a holler and on that note peace out witches bye bye Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, You can find us on iTunes. Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Google Play, pretty much more.
1: anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcastgmail.com. At we love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it.
0: If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon
1: really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted
0: to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All All of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us yeah word of mouth also good yeah
1: (laughs) our website is gwbbpodcast.com you can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron good witches bad
0: bitches is powered by moon Moon Bounce. bounce